go all in. You know, yeah, there's heartbreak at the end in some sense. You know, when, when he when he did leave to go to his forever home, it was a, it was a day we cried, and, and it still is emotional thinking about it now. But we we want to be all in and just just give the, give him everything that a parent would give him at that time. And I regret nothing of that at all. I I, I love that time to be able to do that, to be able to give all that he needed. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TVHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TVHC's Outreach and Communications Admin. We are excited you're joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Imagination Learning Center. They nurture children with a positive environment, focus on creativity, education, and self-confidence, and share our faith in God. Find out more at www.imaginationcenter.com. We are grateful to Imagination for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I am so glad you're with us. My guest today is Scott and Lisa Quirin. The Quirins are from California. Lisa growing up in LA and Scott just outside of LA. They have since moved to Waxahachie, Texas with their family. They have five children, Sarah, Jude, Elijah, Daniel, and Isaac. Their kids' ages range from eight years old all the way into their 30s. Scott has been to all 50 states in the U.S., and Lisa has a certificate in biblical counseling. And don't even get them talking about their team, the L.A. Dodgers. Adoption was always plan A for the Quirins. Lisa's family fostered children and inspired her to serve as a CASA worker, while Scott has always been a supporter of children inside and outside of the womb. They are coming alongside TBHC's ministry to protect and preserve the lives of children and their families. Scott, Lisa, thank you so much for your time with me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Well, let me ask this first question. Scott, what is your favorite state that you've ever visited? Yeah, visiting all 50 states has been an amazing accomplishment. I would say probably the last state that I visited was my most favorite, which was Hawaii. That was the hardest one to get to um, and uh, was a phenomenal experience to be able to go there with Lisa. We went there, what was intended to be our 10th anniversary, but became our 16th anniversary, I believe. Um, so just over uh, different circumstances, uh, it took us a while longer to get there. But it was a wonderful time. We just uh, really enjoyed a week there and to be able to, uh, to, to get there and actually knock off that 50th state was amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool bucket list right there. Um, now, I know I said don't bring it up, but uh, can we talk about the Dodgers? Lisa, you want to share a little bit of story about the Dodgers? Well, the Dodgers have been my lifelong team. In fact, my grandfather was born in Chavez Ravine, which is the home of the Dodger Stadium. So for us, it's been a family tradition. And then I met Scott, who was a really big Dodger fan. So we hit it off pretty quickly. Yeah, and I would say I've been a fan for about 40 years and have been to Dodger games every single year, including last year in 2020 when they won the World Series here in Texas. We got to go to Game 6 of the World Series to watch them celebrate their win after 32 years of waiting. So that was an amazing experience for us. Well, in fact, we got married right next door to the Dodger Stadium at the LA Police Academy, which is just adjoining there, the parking lot. So that was as close as we can get. We weren't able to actually get married at the Dodger Stadium, though. Well, it doesn't sound like it would have been out of the question, though. 
<laughs> not at all. <laughs> That's cool. I'm really glad for you that you got to see this lifelong team uh, really achieve something cool. Yes, here in Texas. Yeah, yeah, just up the road. Yes. Well, how about we get into y'all's story today? Tell us your Bring Kids Home story. Yeah, so I think for me, um, as you mentioned in your intro, um, I've really been convicted of the, of the desire to adopt long before Lisa and I got married. Um, in fact, as um, just learning, uh, going through scripture and learning, of course, we know about James 127, which is about uh, the importance of visiting orphans. Um, but you see adoption throughout scripture, uh, starting back in the Old Testament, we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so um, knowing that and, and being passionately pro-life and, and looking at, uh, well, what can we do? What can I do before knowing Lisa? But what can we do to really put some uh, feet underneath that and to really uh, um, live that out practically? Um, so we looked at that and said, well, if we're going to be passionately pro-life, then let's be part of the solution to be willing to foster kids and adopt kids if, uh, if that gets to that point. And so we really wanted to, uh, to do that. So that was kind of where my conviction had come from on that. Um, and then was great when I met Lisa and she had similar convictions and then also a, a background with foster care uh, growing up. Yeah. Yeah. So my great aunts and my adopted grandmother were all foster parents. Uh, so I grew up with foster kids my whole life. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't, they weren't foster kids to me. They were just my cousins and you know, kids, we went, we went camping. Our family did a lot of outdoor camping and parks. And so, you know, I grew up with foster kids just being my cousins. And so I, to me, it was never a question of like, oh, this is like a, a different thing, a separate thing, a harder thing. It was just a thing we did as a family. Um, and then as an adult, um, I'd learned about the CASA program. And so I was a volunteer for CASA for about four years um, until then we, you know, went to the next step. And then I, you know, and that's another story. But so for me, it's just been a lifelong thing that I've been involved with. And my own mother was raised by her family members. So it's, it's, a, it's a, an actual life changing experience for, for me, for my parents, for my family. And I would say for us as a, as a, as a family, as a couple, where that really started <laughs> to come alive was then with, uh, with our 18-year-old son, Elijah. Um, when, uh, when he was born in uh, 2003, he was uh, actually born to Lisa's younger sister, uh, who was 16 at the time, uh, obviously very young to be able to have a, a little baby, didn't know what to do. We came alongside her for a good while to try to help her out, to be able to um, just be able to, to provide her the, the means necessary to try to raise this child. Um, and for about 17, 18 months, that was a back and forth kind of thing. And then he eventually ended up with us after 17 months. Um, and we were his guardians at first. And then we realized that we wanted to provide that forever home for him because it didn't look like there was an opportunity for her to, to be able to get him back responsibly. Uh, so we were guardians for a few years and actually about a four year process we went through to uh, formally adopt him and his adoption was finished when he was five years old. Um, and we just wanted to make sure that he always knew that we were his family and, uh, and wanted to make sure we were the ones to step in to do that. Yeah, well, and even in that process, you know, initially we were really trying to love my sister and help her 
to raise this baby. She was very young and, you know, there were just decisions that she made that made that difficult. And we, we as a family, try to step in. And then initially it just became where, well, this child needs parents. And, you know, we just made the decision, you know, well, we, we have to just step in as parents. He can't just be our little um, foster child or we can't, you know, he, he needs more than a guardian. All children, initially, children need permanent families. And so we had to make a decision where, okay, now it's time. He's going to be going to school soon and, you know, Let's, let's do this before he starts kindergarten. So it was difficult, but it was definitely something we felt where the Lord was leading us in that direction. Right, and we, uh, we saw that, so as we went through the process, and again, I mentioned it was a four-year process, lengthy, um, and uh, just a, very trying, because it's back and forth as these processes can be. Uh, one kind of a little bit funny story was during that process, we, we eventually went to court to terminate parental rights uh, for the biological father who was not involved at all. And so we had to go through a trial, one or two day trial. And so they put us both on the stand to answer questions about what had happened. And so I got on the stand first and the attorneys asked me, so what do you like to do with them on Saturday? And do you like to go to the park and baseball games and things, really softball questions. Then they get Lisa up there and they start really grilling about dates and timelines and when did you see this and when did you do that? And we're sitting, you know, five feet apart and I've got all these dates in my mind, but they didn't ask me those things. And so she's up there, you know, answering these and I, you know, I felt really bad for her on that, but we went through fine and uh, we, we got the, the desired result and uh, we're very happy, but it was just, just kind of a funny experience where I got all these easy questions and Lisa just got grilled on these. Yeah, I mean, it, it, those are definitely a, an experience and anyone who's not had the experience of court and dealing with this kind of situation, I mean, goodness. Y'all, so y'all are veterans in that regard for sure. Uh, let me ask y'all a question about kinship real quick. Um, when you do a kinship adoption and you're, you're facing some very tough conversations, I'm, I'm positive there are families who are listening who want to engage with their family and say, hey, this isn't healthy for kids. This is, it could be better. We'd love to help. Or what do y'all suggest with that? Because you, you do have to walk gently, but you also can't put a child in danger. So what, what did y'all do? What was, what was that process like for you? Let me just ask. So first of all, when it was apparent that my sister was making really bad decisions, um, and just like she would disappear for days at a time. And so I did, when, when my mother asked me, hey, you know, we need help. This baby is just being left for days at a time. And so I did go and talk to my sister. And I, and I did say, I'm not trying to steal anyone's children. I'm not kidnapping anyone's children. And I did go and speak to her. And thankfully, she knew that she was not doing what she was meant to do. And so at that initial conversation, she said, yes, I want you to take him. And he, he, you know, he needs to have people taking care of him. Now, whether or not that was because it was convenient at the time, because she wanted to be, you know, she was young. She wanted to be out, you know. Or maybe it was her actually thinking through. I, I don't know because there were other things that came up 
But at the time I did say, Hey, you know, how can we help you? What can we do? I'm not going to steal your child, but I think, you know, that this is not what he needs right now. And she agreed. And so we were able to, um, all agree now with other family members they they pulled us aside you know you want to just tell them you know my brother pulled you aside right at the guardianship court yeah and that's what i was going to mention is just as we went to the guardianship yeah her brother pulled me aside and said well just so you know this is temporary we're you're not keeping him you're not you know this is not gonna be a long-term thing and and what i really learned from it at that point is, is to not press that any further just live in the moment like well right now we're just doing guardianship and that was what was so important about us doing guardianship at the beginning we were not trying to adopt we we're not trying to make all the steps at once let's make this step and had her sister you know made a course correction and change and, and come back then there's nothing permanent that was done at that point it'd be easy to undo the guardianship whereas an adoption that's a, that's a different story so i i would really suggest as far as for people considering this, take take the steps that you need to to protect the child, but don't you don't need to take the final step initially. You have time to make those steps. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, so for people listening to that, if, if you're seeing something, the advice is just to not walk softly in such a way that would put a child in danger, but to walk softly in a way and realize people can course correct, they can change and to give them room to do so. Yep, agreed. Yeah, that's great. Keep going with y'all's story. Okay, right. So we we had you know had Elijah at this point, and uh, it was 2008 when this concluded, and uh, so we needed to take a bit of a breather. Uh, it was, as we said, it was quite a quite a lengthy process, and and one that we wanted to then uh, really focus on raising Elijah. We didn't want to. Uh, um, forget about our primary responsibility there. Our older kids were just graduating from high school at the time. So it was a busy time for us. So um, we, uh, we stayed with that for a while. And I would say that by 2014 is then we really decided to get back in the, in the process, get back in the game. At this point, our older kids had moved out and established themselves. Elijah was uh, well along in school. And we, uh, we saw that, well, let's get back into us. We didn't want this to be the end of our story. And so um, at that point, we said, well, let's get back into it. Um, you know, we're starting to get a little bit older. So, of course, we're not intending to adopt. We're just going to uh, foster care um, and really provide a, a temporary uh, placement home. You know, it could be a day, a, a week, a month, but, you know, temporary placement. And then once things turn around, uh, the kids can go to wherever their permanent home would be. Um, and so we, uh, and we knew other families as we were going through the certification process who had had, you know, 30, 40 kids in their home, 80 kids. I mean, just an amazing number where they just continue to provide that temporary home, temporary relief and thought that'd be, that'd be really cool. And we'll have a collage of pictures and see what that looks like in 10 years and, and do that. Well, and, and we were keeping in, you know, keeping in mind, this wasn't um, because we, we didn't have children or we needed children. And we know that for some this is their way of get, getting children into their home, you know, when they're not able to and with other means. So for us, it was never like plan B. It was always plan A for us to um, foster children. And yeah, it wasn't like, cause, cause we wanted to do other things and we're not able to. So this is what we, we had intended to foster children before we even had Elijah in our home. Right. Um, and you know, it, it's amazing because when Scott and I were first dating and we saw we were going to probably get married, I did say, well, I, I'm not able to have any more children. And uh, I had two, two children at the time, uh, seven and nine. 
And so I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to have any more children. Are you going to be okay with that? And it's amazing. His face lit up <laughs> and he said, you know, I always knew I was going to adopt children. I just always knew that I was going to do that, which, and then I thought, mm, I think maybe this guy's got a little screw loose or something. Cause <laughs> you know, that's not something that most men would be like, Oh, that's great. Cause I was always going to adopt children anyway. That wasn't the response I was expecting. But then at the time when you, okay, so we're good. Now we can go to, to the next step. That's basically God speaking to y'all independently and bringing y'all together. That's, that's really cool. I think one of the things that captures my curiosity always is the motivation behind that. So when you say, I always wanted to adopt children, what is it exactly that you pictured about that? Yeah, I think, yeah, for, for me, I wasn't exactly sure whether that was, you know, foster care or, or adoption through the, you know, through the system or through families or private or public, you know, there's so many different varieties of adoption, you know, international and, and so forth. And I hadn't really put any more kind of thought into that besides um, I want to do adoption. I want to be that to be a, 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 a solution. I want to, again, as I mentioned earlier, I want to be part of the solution on that, but just very passionate that I want to be there where, where these kids would have a family where they wouldn't have otherwise had a family and that, and that I could step in and that, you know, there, we would hear, especially growing up in LA, you would hear about it. in LA County, there's, you know, 40,000 current foster kids, whatever it might be. And these numbers are, are just uh, overwhelming. But, you know, I thought, well, gosh, but for one kid, let's say we fostered one kid, that would be one. Right. And I'm not worried about 40,000, but for that one, that would be the world to them. Right. So I, I think by really putting that together and realizing I can have an impact and then we as a, as a couple, we can have an impact on one, two or three and end up being four, which we'll get into that, those details. But, but yeah, we impacted four lives uh, that would, would not have otherwise been impacted if we not stepped in. Well, let's get into some of those details. What does the next part of your story look like? Yeah, so I would say we uh, once we decided to get involved in back in foster care in 2014, we registered with a uh, an FFA in the LA area to be able to be part of the uh, um, foster process for children who are placed in uh, DCFS, which is Department of Children and Family Services in LA County. Um, and so we went through the classes, uh, did did all the different you know, background checks and so forth, things like that. Um, and we were open to whatever that looked like. So we had one extra room in our home. Um, and we could have up to two kids in the home in in that room, so it could be two girls or two boys. Um, but uh, and we were really interested in a sibling set, if possible, just because we knew those were harder to place. Um, but open to whoever God would bring in, and and didn't matter what what race or or anything else, whatever background. Um, more so, we wanted younger kids because we had an older son who was at the time eleven, so we want to have younger kids, younger than his age. But other than that, just you know, whoever God brings in. Well, and younger also, because if you know, in California, homeschooling, it's another level of difficulty. And foster children, you can't homeschool them. So because we were homeschoolers, I didn't want to have children who went to public school while I was homeschooling. So we decided we were not going to get school age children. I mean, we would deal with it if we had them into school age but we were just not willing to have kids at school and other kids at home. So that was part of the age decision. So uh, five and under. Right. So we were looking at five and under, and again, you know, it had to be two boys, two girls, any, you know, anything like that. And so 
Um, our, our first placement came, I mean, within a couple of weeks of us being certified, well, it was very was quick. Week. Yeah. You were out yeah. of town because yeah. you didn't think we were going to get a child that quickly. <laughs> Yeah. And we, so we got our first placement who now is Isaac, uh, came to us, uh, he was 20 months old at the time and uh, um, really sad thing, but happy for him getting to our home is that he, he was just bouncing around. He was in uh, a boy's home for about 30 days, which is the maximum that they can spend in there. So they don't have orphanages, but the boy's home is a de facto orphanage for sure. Um, and just needed a home, needed a family. And the social worker was so excited that we were open to bringing him in. And again, initially we were thinking about a, a, a sibling set, but this is who God brought was, was one. So we got one and uh, we, we brought him in and, you know, 20 months old and just all the uh, excitement of that and trying to figure out what, you know, what that looks like. And then a month later, we got another placement, um, a little boy named Nathaniel. He was five weeks old and he was placed with us, the tiniest little baby, and was just amazing because right away I saw, you know, he's our, he's he's this little tiny baby who needs to be needs to be fed and 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 you know done with right away. And I wanted to, my big thing is I want to just jump all in. Like we're we're gonna raise this baby, we're gonna hold the baby, we're gonna do all the different things and and see what happens. And and he was ours, you know. And so we had our two little boys at that point. So we knew he was leaving. But at the same time, we were all in. When, while he was with us, he was our little baby, and we loved him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, and that, that's what I meant to say on that, is, yeah, we, we were just all in, and, and we knew it was temporary, but we knew we wanted to just be there for him and, and raise him for as long as we had. And, uh, and like I said, just jump in. And that's what I've given advice to other people as they get involved in this process, is go all in. You know, yeah, there's, there's heartbreak at the end in some sense of you know when, when he when he did leave to go to his forever home it was a, it was a day we cried and, and it still is emotional thinking about it now but we we want to be all in and just just give the, give him everything that a parent would give him at that time and I regret nothing of that at all I, I, I love that time to be able to do that and uh, and to be able to give all that he needed at the time well and his his parents now, his family now, we're still in contact with them, like on Facebook and Instagram. But, you know, initially those first few months when he would go for visits and stuff, his parents were, were like, oh, he's so happy. He's the happiest baby. Oh, you know, he's so smart. He's so, you know, they were always just so glad, you know, and they were believers as well. So they were glad that he was in a home with believers. But it made them like easier. It made everything easier for them and more more joyful for them. And in fact, I think they felt really guilty about the day they picked them up. They they lingered, and we were like, we need to just pull this band aid. They need to like take the baby and go. Mm -hmm. And they were lingering. I think for for our sake mm -hmm. and. But they still like, oh, he's just the happiest boy. He's so sweet. He's got the sweetest personality. And we think like, wow, like that's because he was loved. Mm -hmm. He was not being abused or mistreated or ignored or he was truly loved. And, and that to this day makes me, that's enough to get over the heartbreak of losing him. And I would say that's one thing we talk about is that, you know, we're not like superhumans where it didn't affect us at all. I mean, we, we as cried. I mentioned before, we, we cried and, and I'll still think about it and, and think, oh, I miss those times with him. And, uh, um, and in fact, to the point where we each got a chance to tell our story about this in some different areas. So 
uh, at least to tell her part, but I had a, an opportunity where I used to work where they had a, a newsletter about different people's families. And so someone asked me to write a little article for it. So I did, and I put that in there. And you know, people at a warehouse were then reading about my you know, first goodbye story. And it was amazing how many questions came up and how many discussions and how many people I didn't know were even thinking about adoption or fostering that then asked me about it because they saw my story. And I thought, well, what a blessing that, that yeah, it was, it was hard to let them go. But because of that, I'm ha I have a story and an inroads to be able to then talk about this ministry as other people. And at least I had an opportunity as well. Yes. So I was asked to write a newsletter for our church women's ministry, um, an article. And so, and it was titled The First Goodbye. And so I wrote this and I, I was very truthful in that, yes, it hurt. And yes, we cried. And, you know, we're always getting that, oh, I could never do that because I would not want to lose them. And it's like, well, no, we don't do it because of the outcome, but we do it because of the daily things that we're giving, the daily care and, you know, love that that, that child's get, getting, no matter what the end result is. And so we actually have friends, they weren't friends at the time, but they have since become really close friends who they read that article as a, as a couple and they had been on the fence and then they, we invited them over for lunch mm -hmm. and they have since um, fostered, I would say probably about eight kids to this point and they've adopted one. And so I think like that was from that one experience that didn't even end out the way most people wanted to. <laughs> so. Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, Donor Engagement Manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parents' training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. Yeah, that's really inspiring. And that's the attitude that you present is caring for kids because they need you to not add to our family. Yeah. And yeah. if anyone doing foster care is doing it for any other reason, you're going to be heartbroken. And I would say one part of that, the last kind of part of that story is one thing we learned from that is we are not necessarily the always the best final solution for any of these kids. You know, God has a plan for them and it may not be us. I mean, in our pride, we think that we are always the best solution, right? However, that's not always the case. And, and this case in some ways is easier because we knew he went to a Christian home and it was a good home and he's been there. But we had, you know, peers who were going through this who had to let kids go back to a home that was not so positive. And that's where really trusting the sovereignty of God and trusting his providence and trusting his goodness for these kids that for what his, his purpose is, he's going to have this kid go back 
to another another situation. So we really had to be careful to hold loosely, just like you would with your own biological children. We are not guaranteed tomorrow with your biological children. We weren't guaranteed tomorrow with our foster kids who became adoptive kids. Um, but we knew that we had that time to serve for however, however long that was, and then we had to then give that child up to then the next uh, step that God has in their process. And that, that was so important to remember that, and even to share that with other families that were going through that kind of heartache to realize you're not necessarily the best answer. Well, and we always think of Jesus in the garden, right? And when he was praying, like, okay, you know, God, Father, I don't want to go through this. This is going to be very difficult. And I would rather not have to have what's going to happen, happen. And then at the end, he said, but nevertheless, your will, you know? And so, and we have to look at every situation. We can ask God for what we want. Like, you know, I, I love this child. And I, you know, we, we went through this with, with Isaac, who was our first where after two years, grandma came out of nowhere and no previous relationship. And grandma ended up getting siblings of Isaac who ended up in foster care at different points. And, you know, it was a really hard time because by, by this point, he was our son. We completely loved him, but we really just had to go back to, okay, God, I love this child, he's my son, but more importantly, he's your child and he's your son. And just reminding ourselves, God, I know you're good. I don't like this, I don't want this, but I know you're good and I know that I can do this. Because the same way Jesus was able to go that night, you know, from the garden after he was arrested, I know I can do this. And, I, and I'd say, yeah, it's one of the things that just recently, too, because the story continues on always, always. And so this weekend, we had a camping trip with the boys uh, through Trail Life. And, um, and so that we went around that at, and each of the kids mentioned what they were thankful for. And Isaac just blessed me so much because he said, you know, not you know, just as they went around, what are you most thankful for? He said, I'm thankful I have a family. And it just was so touching to me. And, you know, he's eight years old and he just, all he can remember is here, us, right? But even to put that together, to be thankful he has a family, that just was such a blessing to me to hear that. And uh, um, just just to know that that's that kind of impact we've made on this young man. And uh, um, For now, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, it might he might be thankful for like Legos or something. <laughs> <Right>. but. <laughs> but what a blessing to hear that at that time. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's really cool. It's been puppies and rainbows is the joke that everyone says. As soon as you adopt, you go home and it's all wonderful. It's all puppies and rainbows. But the reality is kids are kids and they don't owe you as parents anything. You know, God entrusted kids into adults care for them to love and cherish. And kids are not obligated to be grateful, but it sure is wonderful when they are, right? Absolutely. You take those, you take those wins when they come along. Yeah. So we, we talked about your first goodbye and that being hard. How do you trust in, in a, a God that's sovereign and cares about our circumstances and you just don't get him? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is that I preach truth to myself because I can get into the whole like, why this and why not this? But the thing is I have to continuously remind myself that God is a perfect God and he's perfectly loving. He's perfectly kind. There is no injustice in him, you know? So I am continuously like 
okay, no, you know, that's my heart, my feelings, but you know what? God is good. And I know God loves me and I know God loves this child or whatever the circumstances, I have to speak truth to myself versus just listening to my heart and what my heart wants and feels. Because, you know, as we know, our hearts aren't honest with us most of the time, right? But truth is always truthful. Yep. And I, and I would say, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we, we know that, you know, this is a good desire to want the kids to stay with us, right? So as we are fostering, as we're, you know, hopefully adopting, we know that's a good desire to want that. But again, knowing that might not be the best desire. And I think, again, trusting God's goodness, you know, Lisa mentioned that, but he's good. So what these plans are, are good. And again, coming back to, you know, live in the moment, live in that moment that you have. When I would go to court, so for Isaac, you know, it took a good couple of years, well, about same about four years for his adoption to be finalized as well. So I would go to court uh, each, uh, every, you know, three to six months. And, and constantly I would get delays where we delayed 120 days because they couldn't quite uh, make the right uh, notification to the birth father or birth mother. Or one day, literally, they had to do a 45-day notice and the notice was given 42 days before. So we were that close to being done, but because the notice was three days short, they kicked the can down the road another 120 days. And I can't explain to you how long 120 days sounds when you're sitting there in court ready to go, you know, but, but then the best part was coming back home and I'd come in and Isaac Papa and he'd come up and give me a bear hug and uh, he had no clue what was going on in court. And I think that helped me then to realize, okay, well, whatever's going on, whatever happens in this moment today, I'm ministering to Isaac and to Daniel. Um, and, uh, and that, that's my ministry right there. And, and tomorrow will bring along its own troubles and, and scripture is clear about that, that we need to, you know, live in today's blessings and tomorrow has its own to worry about, but, but live in today. And I think, so that's where the whole, whole part of our, my message on that is live in today, be in there, be fully committed, be that father that those kids need. And maybe it's forever and maybe it's not, but that's not for me to decide. So. Yeah, it's really great. Man, that's right. Let me ask a, an identity question because you guys are pouring into these kids. You're you're wanting to see not only um, something hopeful for temporary circumstances, but for eternal circumstances. You are helping shape the identity of a child's own self-image. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some of the things that you intentionally did to kind of help help them understand that they are creation of God and loved and cherished by him. What was some of the tools that you did that you could pass on to us? Yeah, I think, I think partly it starts with a good grounding in scripture, a good grounding in, you know, so we're, we're going to church each week. We, uh, we obviously spend time in the word each, uh, each night. Uh, I spend time with the boys each night uh, in the word and we go through, we've gone through old Testament and new Testament stories. And as they get older, we've been getting more uh, in depth into that type of thing. Um, so we, uh, we, we start with that, right? That that foundational, you know, you are made in God's image. Um, so no matter what else comes, comes at you around there, that is a very uh, foundational um, uh, truth that needs to be there, right? So we need to equip them with that. Um, and so I think that that's the very beginning of it right there. Well, and even in today where, you know, kids are really struggling at who they are and who they should be and they're being taught well, you know, it, that's like, you can, you can change that. Right. And, and I don't mean that in the positive way, but if you, do, if you're not comfortable in your own skin, then you can pretend you have some other skin or some other, you know, things. And, and I think it's really important that we are created in God's image and we are for his glory. 
we glorify God and he's perfect and he has perfectly made us who we are today. And that is enough. Right. So, and I, and I would say, you know, with, with both of them. So as far as skin color and things like that, so they're both uh, half black, half white, um, but Isaac is much lighter skin and Daniel's much darker skin. Um, So it's been interesting as Daniel kind of realizes that and looks at us and looks at him and he realizes he's darker than we are. Um, and he's, he's questioned about that and, and wondered about that and, and, and even, you know, asked, well, should my skin be lighter and things like that, which is heartbreaking. Even just thinking about now is, is, is heartbreaking because God has made him this in his image and made him exactly the way he wanted to make him. All of his features, exactly the same, you know, so it's fine. I mean, he has curly hair. I have straight hair. He has dark eyes. I have light eyes. I mean, just, you know, the, the contrasts are there. He is my son. And, and so I, I constantly come back to that. You are my son. You are, you're fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made. You're, you're knit together in your mother's womb before you're ever born. So God has made you this way. And, and, and it's a blessing. It's not something we ignore. That's not something we, um, you know, try to, try to uh, downgrade or whatever, but this, this is how he's made you. So let's celebrate that while also knowing that your spiritual condition is what really identifies you. So where you stand with Christ is what identifies you. You are not, you know, and we see when Paul says, neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, um, these are not identifying marks, although they are there, we identify with Christ. And so really working on that to say, you know, no matter how we look as a family, we look different from, from other families, that's okay. We need to then still glorify God in, in what we're doing. Well, and then you, you concentrate on, we should look like, like love. What does mm-hmm. love look like? Right. So we're always going to like, is that loving your neighbor? Are they going to, you know, sometimes I ask them like, well, if somebody heard you say that or do that, would they know that you love Jesus? You know, mm-hmm. is that something that would show people like, well, I, I love Jesus. So I love my neighbor. So we, we kind of try to um, concentrate on what do you look like? as far as how are you treating people, mm-hmm. right? Because that's really what people are going to look at you for. Like, how do you treat each other? How do you treat your parents? Even, you know, well, like, would someone say you're obeying parents right now? <laughs> you know, even little things like that. But would they think like, wow, that child loves God and they want to obey him and obey their parents? Just, you know, we try to focus it on how God is looking at us, at our hearts, right? Plus, I mean, we think our boys are very handsome, you know, mm-hmm. and so we try to, you know, like, no, you are a very handsome young man and, you know, God has made you so beautiful from the day you're born, mm-hmm. you know, and so. Yeah, yeah that's a great legacy. Uh, we should look like love. I yes. like that. I'm stealing it. <laughs> All right. So. We've gotten into really what your hopes and dreams are for the family. Where, what's going on today? So I think right now, you know, as a, as a family, again, the older kids have moved out. So in some ways, we've kind of settled into a somewhat normal family, I guess, of where, uh, you know, we have two parents and two kids, seven and eight years old and um, going along. But I think uh, we are wanting to make sure that we are, um, again, being very purposeful with what we're doing, again, being very involved in our church, being very involved with uh, with scripture each day. I've gotten the boys involved with uh, Trail Life USA, which is a, a great uh, uh, organization that's uh, that's working with um, 
with building young men and maturing young men um, in the word, in their faith, and then with outdoor activities and, and equipping them to be men who can do things that are necessary of men to do. So we just recently got involved in that. And, um, and, and I, uh, I think that's so important that they are doing those things. We're spending time, sports is good and, and, and different, you know, fun activities are good, but we just want to be pur purposeful with, uh, with them as well to make sure that we are raising them that way. Uh, and then Lisa's homeschooling them. So really working with them to, uh, uh, you know, we love that at the beginning of the day, we can start with Bible and start with, uh, start with singing hymns together, uh, the three of them on the days when I'm working and uh, things like that. So I think, you know, we've been able to settle into a bit of a routine now that we've, you know, we relocated to Texas about a year and a half ago and got, you know, got into a routine now at this point that, um, and I guess that's where, and it, I just don't want us to get too comfortable in that. that okay, now we're in our routine. This is what we're doing. And, and we don't want anything to bother that. God has a good way of bothering those routines, right? And so we, we want to be open to that of where, you no, know, if something needs to change to, to better our, our ministry, then let's do that. But, uh, but right now we've settled into that fairly well. Yeah, we're really trying to figure out where we can um, better serve in foster care. And so we're really going back and forth is, I mean, honestly, we're, you know, there's people older than us fostering young kids, but we sort of feel like, well, we're kind of old and I don't think it would be fair to have some really young kid with like, you know, geriatric parent, you know? <laughs> so we, we want to be mindful of that, but at the same time, we still want to fill the need and we are really just trying to figure out what, where do we fit into foster care right now? And honestly, if we were to take in a child like on an emergency basis, we would end, like we would end up adopting every child because that's what we've done so far. You know, as soon as they become adopted, yeah, sure, they're our kid. Why wouldn't we do that? Right. So we're trying to be mindful of ourselves and we always are, you know, we'll say yes. Right. So we're like, well, we got to be careful about that. And we really have to figure out where did we fit into this foster picture. And, and so we're really just we're hoping you'll tell us where we fit in because we really are for us. That is our, our struggle right now. Um, you know, we're in a new church and we're involved in ministries. Um, I do counseling. I, I biblically counsel women and even that has been a little hard with homeschooling and just trying to figure it, how I can effectively do that and give my kids 100% and also give counselees 100% and and then add in other things. So we're really just going back and forth as to how can we continue in this fight. You know, and it's easy we, we we're pretty good and we can throw money at things right? We can, you know, how, you need, what do you need? I mean, not like we're, you know, we're barely thousandaires, but, you know, we can probably buy a lunch here and there and stuff, but just what can we do is where we're really um, trying to figure out how we can keep up the good fight for foster care. And I think, again, knowing that, you know, if, as I said earlier, everybody can play some role, whether you are actually fostering or adopting or doing something else. So we know that we, I think we feel, we feel like we fall into the something else category, but, uh, but we need to be open to whatever, whatever that is that comes along, right? So I think that's, uh, that's what we're looking at right now. And again, as I mentioned, really want to make sure the boys are still going to be around this and understanding the impact of it. And it's not a ministry that's going away. We know that. 
So we want to make sure that we are um, open to that. And as things come along and, you know, over the years, we've had opportunities where families need help with moving. Okay, then let's jump in and help with that. You know, so whatever those things might be, it doesn't have to be a, a long-term tenure plan of how we'll be involved, but let's, let's meet that need that's here right now and continue uh, moving forward from there. Yeah, that's great. So if you were to tell someone the most important thing, about fostering or adopting, what would that be? What is the most important thing you'd want someone to know about fostering or adopting? Uh, I think for me, again, would be, you gotta go all the way in. As I mentioned earlier, I think that's my, that's my most important thing is whatever it, it means from the moment they come in, okay, it's dinner time and, and you know, all the different things that's going, just go all the way in, be fully invested in that child. You will not regret any moment of that because it will be such a blessing that you have been fully invested in that. And, and yeah, I had family members who questioned that and said, well, maybe keep an arm's length there because you're not sure what might happen. Um, and I fully rejected that. I, I said, no, I'm all in 100%. And I, I can't wait to, to be involved. And we did. And, and so that I'm so thankful for. So that's my one bit of advice. Go in and be all in completely and see what God will do. Well, and just trust God. You got to trust God in every process. I mean, I think that is one of the things that's kind of a bummer is when you talk with other foster parents and they talk like the court systems and the, the birth family. And it's just, but you know what? Let's just, you know, let's just uh, do today. Let's just trust God in the process, in every part of the process. Just trust God. Really, you know, trust and obey. That's my model. Trust and obey. I want to thank you both for taking time to share y'all's story today. I know it's blessed me and just really appreciate it. Thank you for having yeah, Thank us. you for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.